Welcome to episode 20 of Behind the Mission, a show that sparks conversations with PsychArmor trusted partners and educational experts. My name is Dwayne France, and each week I'll be having conversations with podcast guests that will equip you with tools and resources to effectively engage with and support military service members, veterans, and their families. You can find the show on all the podcast players or by going to psycharmor.org forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us on Behind the Mission. Our work and mission are supported by the generous partnerships and sponsors who also believe that education changes lives. This episode is brought to you by PsychArmor, the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military cultural content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners as well as custom training options for organizations. You can find more about PsychArmor at psycharmor.org. This week, I'm having a conversation with Air Force veteran Jen Dane. Jen served as an intelligence analyst focused on geopolitical relations, terrorism, and threat vulnerability issues. Jennifer currently serves as the executive director of the Modern Military Association of America, the nation's largest nonprofit organization working to advance fairness and equality for the LGBTQ military and veteran community. She currently serves as a founding board member of Partners in Promise and is a VET Policy Fellow. You can find out more about Jen by taking a look at her bio on our show notes. Let's get into my conversation with her and come back afterwards to talk about some of the key points. So the Modern Military Association of America is the largest nonprofit advocating for LGBTQ service members, veterans, and family members. It's built on a legacy of a number of different groups. Your organization is one that advocates for those whose voices historically have not been heard. Yes, absolutely. So we've been around since 1993. Um, we started out as the Service Legal Defense Network, and it was really created through the idea of combating the policy of Don't Ask, Don't Tell that came into to place in 93, just to make sure that service members were represented, but really specifically lesbian, gay, bisexual, because that's really what the Don't Ask, Don't Tell really targeted. Um, and then later on, really emphasizing trans service as well. So it started in 93 with the with Service Legal Defense Network, and then it evolved into OutServe SLDN, which is an acronym for Service Legal Defense Network, and then merged with a couple other organizations. And then finally, in 2019, the American Military Partner Association and the OutServe SLDN came together and just decided we need to lay all of our chips out and let's come together and just be the strongest voice out there. I have been part of the OutServe SLDN in the earlier years of my service, and I was part of the American Military Partner Association. So for me, I was just so excited for this merger to occur and for us to do some really great work because we know that we are stronger together. And I really believe in that philosophy over not only our organization, but partnering with others. So that's the foundation of where it has evolved from. We currently have 85,000 members, supporters, um, and allies. And it's just a really an amazing, amazing organization to lead and cause it's so near and dear to my heart. And one of the challenges for much of the history of the organization, it had to be something advocating from the outside in. Because of Don't Ask, Don't Tell is a service member necessarily wouldn't be able to advertise that they were a part of this organization until they got out in which then they could advocate for those still in. 
Yeah, so I'll tell you some really interesting history that not many people know. So OutServe SLDN, it was basically the active duty component of an organization that was all underground. And so what this looks like is that you had to figure out, I don't know how I found this organization, but you basically had to find someone that was part of it, basically be vetted, ask to be to join a Facebook group at at each of these bases, because we also have 67 chapters across the country and the world, and you had to get permission just to join. And so it was like this huge vetting process to get in this underground network um, of folks. And we were there. I was really well connected. I remember having, interestingly enough, having events and having pool parties at people's houses because I was in Arizona. But that's really where it started. We were all underground, all hidden under this. It was scary too, because we didn't know if we would be found out and we just trusted one another. And maybe I'm a little bit naive looking back, but I was, whenever I was in that organization, I wasn't found out. I was found out before that, but able to continue to serve. But it was just a really interesting organization and the growth of it to go from being so private to even to evolving into this public space. And unfortunately, that's creating more barriers, right? We're not able to be who we are. We're not able to be who you truly see yourself as. I was in the army. I joined in 92. I served in Germany. I know that I served with LGB fellow service members. We all knew. And of course, we didn't say anything because they were valued members of the team. LGBT service members have been around for decades, centuries. They actually, even if you go back to the history, even the foundation of the military was started by a gay service member. And we don't really think about that. But looking back at the history, there's been so many great people that have served in wonderful roles. And bringing that history to light is so critical. Because number one, we're just humans too. And we just happen to love someone, someone of the same sex. So we've been, we've always been there. We've always been here. And it's just really exciting to be in a place where I feel like in 2021, we're finally getting visibility again. And being able to have a voice and being able to advocate openly and proudly, whereas in the past, you've had to rely on Again, relying on these barriers and this strong but shakable trust. One of the most well-known challenges, and you talked about it a little bit, for LGBTQ service members was don't ask, don't tell. It was repealed in 2011. Congress passed it in 2010. While this repeal has had some progress, the damage done by don't ask, don't tell is still continuing today and is likely going to have a generational impact on many veterans who served either served under it like you or were separated more specifically under it just because of their service. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really interesting. So just today, this morning, I got a call from someone that had known, his name is Alan Schindler, and he was a service member that was killed in Japan because he was gay. He was the one that spurred the Don't Ask, Don't Tell bill or act, as you want to call it, because he was brutally murdered by fellow Navy seamen whenever they were on port, like brutally, brutally murdered. And we kind of need to remember that because his death should have been a call to say like open service for everyone. And that's actually what President Bill Clinton was trying to do was create open service. But Don't Ask, Don't Tell was essentially a compromise between both parties to say, yeah, I recognize this, but, you know, we still don't want you to be recognized. You can still serve, but you can't tell anyone. And we're not going to ask you. And what we found out is that didn't happen. 
We know that there was these, for lack of a better term, those witch hunts. There was people that would say, you better tell us or we're gonna dis- you're going to be discharged. And if it wasn't, you were going to have to tell us like who else in your organization was. And so for me, I, I was investigated, like I said. And so I'll share a little bit of that. So in 2010, I entered the military. And at that time, I remember signing that paper. I still have it today just to remind me that what my service and what my advocacy is all about, because I think that's so important to really reflect on. Sometimes this job gets really difficult, but we reflect on those folks that were really, that were really uplifting. And that generational impact is so incredible that we need to really focus on. But in 2010, for me, I was sexually assaulted in the military, one in three women. And I was one of those, those service members. And I decided to report it. And what came about was that the defense attorneys found out that I was gay. And they clearly asked me in a time where they could not ask me if I was gay. And so I couldn't tell anyone either. I couldn't tell the Air Force that I, I was gay and I didn't want that to happen. I couldn't tell my chain of command. I couldn't tell anyone because I was barred under this unintended consequences of a policy. And so I, during that time in the investigation into him, I actually was investigated myself. So I had to hire an attorney from a different base and just really say, what do I need to do? Because the investigation had started. And for me, the most traumatic part of that was the, the being asked if I was gay because it had no merit on the case, none. But because I stood up and did what was right and reported, I suffered great trauma from that. And I'm not the only one that that, that has experienced this. I'm just probably one of the only people that actually talks about it. And I know there are so many others. We know that 10 years has passed since the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And every single day, I get an email saying, this has hugely impacted my life. We also know that since since the end of World War II until the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell in 2011, 114,000 service members were discharged dishonorably or oath had been honorable. So what does that really mean to you as a population? That means that these service members, although they serve with dignity and honor, they can't have access to VA benefits. They can't have access to VA home loans, education benefits. And even what gets me heart to the heart is although they serve, they are not even entitled to military burial benefits. And during the pandemic, I saw so many people come to me and one family came to me and said, we just found out our family member, I think it was their uncle, had just passed away and he never told anybody that he was discharged for being gay in the military. And so now we're looking at a dishonorable discharge. How can we fix this? How can we make sure that we can get military burial benefits for him so he could be buried just with dignity and respect? And it was so hard. I had to tell them. I went to do whatever I can. And with the repeal, there was legislation that was introduced that said, yes, you can upgrade your discharge, but the process takes two and a half plus years. And I had to tell them that. And it was heartbreaking every moment because I know that they were not able to give their family member what he needed and what he deserved. And I can't imagine going to the grave just knowing that was on someone's heart and in their soul. And then not only that is that Donest Don't Tell was specifically for LGB service members. And then whenever trans service was able to be exclusive, we know that there was a tweet that dismantled that whole system. So we told folks, you can come out as transgender. But a couple of years later, we said, oh, just kidding. You're not allowed. You're not a member of the military. And interestingly enough, that that Trump's tweet had nothing to do with transgender dependence of military members, but we saw an incredible impact on them from being just basically denied healthcare on bases to just being ostracized for communities. And we know that suicidality rates for trans individuals, especially children, are incredibly high. And I had 
family members come to me with kids that are that said, we are service members and we have dependents and we fight for our nation. And then we got to go home and we've got to fight for our kids and we've got to fight for our partners. We got to fight for our spouses. How devastating. We're in 2021. These issues just love people. We're all people and that's all you need to do. But Looking back, we really need to, you talked about the generational harms. Absolutely. They are going to continue. I know I suffer with them every single day. And there's so many people that I think there's an assessed 870,000 people that were impacted by Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And that doesn't even include family members, spouses, partners, children, that the residual effects we don't even know about. And if we think about, again, we think about the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell and said it's been 10 years and great, it's been 10 years. But the height of the conflicts in Iraq and Afghanistan was 2004 to 2007, 2008 in Iraq and then 2009 or 10. And so the largest amount of, of conflicts, the highest number of casualties in Iraq and Afghanistan were before the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And those were literally LGBTQ service members laying down their lives, literally sacrificing the greatest sacrifice, but could not come out and say openly who they were. Yes. And I, I mean, just being authentically you and serving, you know, is, is huge. And there are so many people, I don't care who you are, but if you are at war, I don't care who is beside me, as long as you, we've got each other's back. That's as long as you got my six, I am good to go. I don't care who you are or, or anything, as long as we're in it together. And I think that's one of the things is even we're still We've so many service members sacrificed their lives and they couldn't even be recognized by having partners that they loved, children that were theirs that they couldn't really talk about because they were hidden in the cloaks of this. And sometimes we even saw service members leave the force, leave the force because they wanted to live their true authentic selves. And what this comes down to more than anything is this was a really big deal for national security. We weren't able to keep and retain the wonderful talent that we had because we put these barriers in place. And even today, in 2021, I keep on saying that we still know that there is barriers to access any LGBTQ military and veteran research. So there's a huge barrier to even get approval to research this community. So we don't even know how many people are serving, how many people really served. And we know that they, that LGBTQ service members have higher propensities of health disparities. And so we're not even ready. The VA is not ready. The DOD is not ready. How do we meet the needs of these folks? that we don't even know what they need because we have to rely on the literature from the outside community, but we really need to focus on really what the critical needs. And not only that is the TOD, as interestingly as it is, is the number one trans employer in the country. And that is incredible. And they could be cornering the market on figuring out how to best serve these folks, how to best serve the LGBTQ community, because they're a great organization and progressive in some policies, believe it or not. They were the first to institute marriage equality before a lot of the states were. So they have such a great potential and also the talent, national defense and talent that we can retain from them. And, and I think that really is the challenge is to be able to ensure that those who want to serve can serve the way they want to. You talk about those that have to choose between their military lifestyle, their military identity and their sexual orientation identity and 
choosing one over the other, it's like chopping an arm off almost. This is in, and we talked very briefly about, I've worked with some veterans. That was their struggle. They said, I loved being uh, an airman. I loved being a soldier, but I also had to be my authentic self. But then the other pieces that we don't know the data, we know attempt rates for LGBTQ individuals, but we don't know death rates necessarily. Here in Colorado is our suicide death investigation form does not talk about sexual orientation, doesn't ask that question. So we don't know how many die by suicide, all of these different challenges. And that's really what MMAA does. You have a number of different programs beyond just the advocacy, of course, for the Don't Ask, Don't Tell, but you support the LGBTQ population in a number of different ways, legal support to scholarships, support for families, as you just mentioned with LGBTQ youth. Can you give us an overview of some of the programs that MMAA has? We have all of those, but one of the, our, our hallmark program that I would say is we have this program called the Restore Honor, Restore Dignity, which basically does provides free legal services for those who seek discharge upgrades because we know that that figure that I want to call like hidden LGBTQ service members that serve the 114,000, they're out there. We don't know who they are. And we've requested data, but we have no idea. I wish I could have a master sheet that said that, that I could go through and just say, let me contact all of these folks because I want to do it. I want to do this. And I want to upgrade all their discharges, regardless if it's posthumously or if they're still living, because I think that's so important. And we provide those services. And also if you're trans and you need a name change, we do that free of charge too. The, the hardest thing is it takes so long to process. And we're working also with legislation in tandem with this to make sure that this process is more streamlined. Because it shouldn't take two and a half years. If somebody gets married, it doesn't. It shouldn't take two and a half years to change their name. So it shouldn't do that for trans service members or veterans. So those are some of the, the things. We also have a cultural competency training that we're actually working with Psych Armor pretty soon to create micro courses because we're in the development stage of those. And really just saying, this is what the LGBTQ community needs. And if you are a care provider or just if you're just really curious about whatever our specific needs for our LGBTQ service member and veteran community, here's a course for you. And we want to make sure that it's not only is it some education, but you really do some reflection and say, in my current job, what can we do? And in my position, what can I do better? And just sharing like some of these things that people don't know. It's just really good to know that. So that's called Rainbow Shield. And that's a wonderful program that we're, we're excited to launch, hopefully by the end of the year, or if not the beginning of next year with Psych Armor as a, as a key partner on that. But we do hold it regardless. Uh, that's going to be like 2.0 Rainbow Shield, which is, is super exciting. And we also just have so many opportunities with legislators and legislation to work in the policy space. I mean, just thinking about creative and innovative ideas. We have, like I said earlier, we have 60 seven chapters throughout the country. And we try to hit every single state or at least the area that they're in. So if you want to get connected, just search them on Facebook. It is MMAA and the state that you're in and you can get connected. We're very open about about that. And we're just making sure that we create strategic partnerships with other organizations to really say, what do you have that our LGBTQ service members need? And one of the things we're also trying to focus on more, more so lately is really figuring out what does it mean to be an LGBTQ caregiver, whether that's you caring for LGBTQ service members and veterans, or whether you are LGBTQ or maybe hear a little bit of both because sometimes we need caregivers too. And sometimes we are the caregivers. And so we're really going in that space and working with different organizations to make sure that to make sure that we are seen because we know that's a really big area that our organization has never tackled before. And so that's a new initiative that we're about to embark on, which I am so excited about. 
But those are our, we have, I'm sure I'm missing so many more. Those are the top of mind, but we're always doing some really amazing and innovative things and just trying to figure out, for me, it's it's trying to figure out how to, how to play the chess game of strategy and making sure that every decision that I make or our board of directors makes is in alignment with the betterment of service members and our veterans. Because at the end of the day, this I, I hope that one day my job will be complete and I won't have a job anymore. So working myself out of a job is one thing that I would love to do, even though selfishly, not really. But but I hope that we can solve these problems and we don't have to talk about these anymore. 10 years, more years is time. Maybe at some point you'll change from an advocacy organization to a celebratory organization and you just celebrate all of the wins. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Jen, I absolutely appreciate you coming on the show today. If people wanted to find out more about the Modern Military Association of America, how can they do that? How can they contact you if they'd like to do that on social media? Yeah, so our website is modernmilitary.org. We're almost on every single platform, except for TikTok, not yet. But you can search up uh, Modern Military Association of America. You can also email us, info at modernmilitary.org, or you can email me. I'll try to get to your email whenever I can, but it's jennifer at modernmilitary.org. Always open uh, to having a conversation. I'm just also a human just like you that happens to run this nonprofit. And I just want to make sure that, that we our doors are always open and we're always happy to engage in dialogue because, like I said in the very beginning, we are definitely stronger together as supporters and allies and even service members and veterans that are in the LGBTQ community. We'll, we welcome everyone. Absolutely. Thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you. I appreciate it. Once again, we would like to thank this week's sponsor, PsychArmor. PsychArmor is the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners, as well as custom training options for organizations. For those of you who may not be familiar with the military, the way that someone leaves the military is a significant matter. If someone completes their contract or retires, they'll get an honorable discharge. The next lowest discharge is general under honorable conditions, which often happens when some misconduct has occurred, but the service member still retains many of their military benefits. The next lowest type of discharge is a separation under other than honorable conditions, and this is the designation that makes a huge difference. The types of benefits that someone is considered automatically eligible for are greatly limited by an other than honorable discharge, and the decision whether to award someone either a general discharge, which has much eligibility, and an other than honorable discharge, which removes eligibility for many benefits, is often a decision by the individual's local chain of command. This means that someone who is discharged for substance abuse violations, for example, can be given a general discharge in one command, but someone who committed the exact same offense in any other command may get an other than honorable discharge. So this is related to discharges in general. There are a number of different reasons for a service member to be separated from the military. Patterns of misconduct, multiple DUIs, engaging in criminal activity, or violation of regulations. This last one is the thing that puts someone discharged under don't ask, don't tell in the same category as someone who has violated the law. For many service members, being discharged under don't ask, don't tell is equivalent to committing a crime. And there is something fundamentally wrong about this. A person's sexual orientation is not a crime. It is not a mental illness. It is not a threat to morale or cohesion unless the members of a unit are discriminatory towards LGBTQ service members. 
Therefore, it's not the person's sexual orientation that creates a lack of cohesion, but the prejudicial and judgmental opinions of those around them. Listen to the following excerpt from the original legislation of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. The armed forces must maintain personnel policies that exclude persons whose presence in the armed forces would create an unacceptable risk to the armed forces, high standards of morale, good order and discipline, and unit cohesion that are the essence of military capability. The presence in the armed forces of persons who demonstrate a propensity or intent to engage in homosexual acts would create an unacceptable risk to the high standards of morale, good order and discipline, and unit cohesion that are the essence of military capability. Consider if you replaced persons who demonstrate a propensity or intent to engage in homosexual acts with any other population. The presence in the armed forces of persons who are female, or persons who are foreign-born, or persons who may have other cultural designations. If the regulations stated that the presence of these diverse cultures would create an unacceptable risk to standards, there would rightly be an outrage. For many, this is a sensitive and controversial topic, although it shouldn't be. As Jen said in the interview, LGBTQ service members are humans just like everyone else. Their sexual orientation, who they choose to love, has no bearing on their ability to perform military duties, nor does it have any bearing on their patriotism, desire to serve their country, or dedication to their fellow service members. As I mentioned, this policy is going to have a multi-generational impact. It's been 10 years since the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, which is relatively recent. There are still people in the military today who enlisted or were appointed as officers under that policy. It will be something like 30 or 40 years before the influence of Don't Ask, Don't Tell fades. And until that time, Jen and the Modern Military Association of America are doing all that they can to support those impacted by this policy. As Jen mentioned in the interview, Psych Armor and Modern Military Association of America is partnering to bring more education and awareness around this topic. You can read more about that in the Psych Armor Resource of the Week, the partnership announcement between Psych Armor and MMAA. This groundbreaking partnership not only enhances the mission and vision of both MMAA and Psych Armor, but also clearly lays the foundation to ensure that LGBTQ voices are heard. Psych Armor has spent over seven years cultivating a repository of over 200 educational courses and training models focused on the military-affiliated community. Now, Psych Armor's courses will be more inclusive to the needs of LGBTQ service members, veterans, and their families. You can find out more about going to the link in the resource section of the show notes. So thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. Make sure to take a look at the show notes, which you can find at psycharmor.org forward slash btm20, as well as on the PsychArmor website. You will find the link to everything we talked about in today's show, as well as hundreds of online training videos delivered by nationally recognized subject matter experts who are committed to educating the civilian community about military culture. All of these courses are free to individual learners. Thank you for joining me on this episode and for continuing to join us on this journey. You wouldn't be listening if you didn't care, and it's that curiosity and passion for supporting service members and their families that we want to encourage and increase. Come back each week for another conversation, and make sure to engage with PsychArmor on social media to let us know what you think about the show. I'd like to express special thanks to Operation Encore and Navy Seahawk pilot Jerry Maniscalco for our theme song, Don't Kill the Messenger. This show was produced by Headspace and Timing, and all rights to the show remain reserved by PsychArmor. Feel free to share the show. In fact, we would like for you to do that, but make sure you let folks know where you heard it. Join us next time for another great episode, and until then, stay aware, get educated, and be well.